0: Welcome to the Welsh Music Prize Conversations, where each nominated band or artist from the 2020 shortlist will delve into a chat about their body of work. You can hear all 15 conversations through AM, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Croeso mawr i Waber Gwobr Gerddoriaeth Gymraeg, Po bydd pob band a artist sydd ar y Rhesdorfer 2020 yn am ei gwaith. My motherland grander bob in try Am, Spotify, na Apple Podcasts. So sit back and enjoy this chat between Bethan Elvin and Georgia Ruth about her nominated album My. Go bithen uchven from Beth ma Bethan Elvin a Georgia Ruth ami album My. I've
1: got the record here, Georgia. And I brought mine as well. <laughs> it's, it's a piece of, oh, it's, it's an artwork, this album. And when you get an album that you can cherish and love, like like you said, um, a timeless piece of work, it's warmth, it's, uh, I love the title My because it is that time of year that feels like the sun warms everything around you in nature. And it's a gift, this album. It's not just uh, something to play via streaming. It's it's the whole thing is a gift. And uh, Georgia, it's wonderful to, to have this opportunity to talk to you about this wonderful piece of work. Um, I guess it was a difficult year to release an album, but also that that's turned out to, to be a weird blessing as well. So I'm going to raise all these questions with you. But I'm going to start with this wonderful um, album and this poster in particular inside the album because i think this is key to the music this is a picture of you putting the album together um in is it in a hall in aberystwyth it's in the old yeah tell tell me where it is for starters yeah
2: it it is it's in this really um It's quite a nostalgic room for me. That room, so Joseph Parry Hall uh, in Aberystwyth, part of the university near the old college building, so right up um, by the castle in Aber. And in the nineties, when I was when I was kind of you know starting to um, play instruments and stuff like that, it was the location of. The Associated Board music exams. So for a little while, it was the room that I walked into, like cowering with nerves, um, to um, you know do these kind of music exams. Which is strange then that it left quite a good impression on me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is a terrifying experience. Having done that myself. Yeah. What grades? I I think I gave up after (laughs) grades. three or four with the piano so i can imagine how terrifying it was
2: yeah it really was but despite all of that despite the nerves the room kind of stayed with me for years later and i'd seen the odd um performance in there as well over the years and again it just kind of stuck in my mind as this really unusual timeless room. It seemed like it was kind of out of a Jane Austen um, production on, on the BBC or something, you know, it just, it looked period and it looked kind of like it was from a dream. So I was thought quite a lot about this room for years and I used to think, I wonder what's happening to that building? And I didn't know. And then when we moved back to ABBA, I I knew that I had to make the album somewhere Different, somewhere that wasn't a studio this time because I had a one-year-old son so everything was different you know and I knew that I needed to get a bunch of musicians together in quite a big room and the acoustics needed to be good enough that we could just like play and Iwan the engineer um, could do his thing and set up the mics but it needed not to be stressful and so I was thinking about this room and I managed to track it down um, via some amazing people at Aberystwyth University who said, you can, you can come and record here. And I'm so grateful to them. They were just so generous, you know, to let me go and use this room. And we were there for about a week in the end. Um, and yeah, it is, when I think back to that time of recording, I can hear it in the music, you know, we just had such a laugh. It was such a relief to kind of finally be back making music with the musicians again in the same room and yeah I loved it so every time I listen though I go oh well, that
1: was such a nice time I just love that the pictures are iconic <laughs> do you, do you think the studios don't have that kind of aura these days to th- this live room that you've used it's wood paneling it's grand there's ornate kind of um, there's a. There seems to be an ornate gallery at one point of the hall, <laughs> and chandeliers. Yeah. We're talking proper, you know, old school glamour here. So, do do you think that 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 perhaps there's something lost in modern studios that don't give you that sense of um, atmosphere?
2: It was definitely a very different experience. You know, for one thing, we didn't have a control room. We didn't really have an official live room, so we, can, can, we we had to make these makeshift departments in the room that you've just described, which felt a bit bonkers, you know, it felt like being on a film set or something. Um, but definitely, I've always loved studios, I've always said that that's where I'm happiest, is when I'm in the studio making music, so places like Bryn Edwin and Monkey. Um, have always been very special to me because that's where I've sort of felt most connected I guess to the music.
1: One more thing, before before we completely forget about it altogether, I do want to find out a little bit more about the uh, exams that Georgia Ruth did when she was younger. (laughs) Were you doing harp, piano, was there other musical instruments involved? Because you were a very talented young musician. You went to Cambridge, wasn't it, to study music?
2: Well, I didn't study music. I didn't trust myself to study music. I studied English literature. And Ah. I think... Had I tried to study music, it probably wouldn't have gone that well for me. I I did do quite a lot of, um, yeah, sort of performing and stuff when I was young. Um, and it might surprise people to know that my main instrument was the recorder, um, which I loved. Um, but rock and roll was the way forward for me. And, it, you know, it was definitely a lifestyle choice. I still occasionally rock it out. On the last album, there was quite a lot of... Um, Secret recorder layering going on. Um, people say, "Oh, that was a really nice synth that you use."
1: <laughs> no, no.
2: Um, so, and, and I'm going to have to instrument.
1: listen. I'm listening with new ears to the record now to listen yeah. out for the recorder. I've never heard anyone mention recorder as their main instrument. Oh yeah, this, yeah. I was,
2: I was serious about it.
1: <laughs> secret talent stuff here. Amazing. I mean, I I do remember how terrifying those musical um, situations were, but formative, aren't they? And incredible goals and incredible achievements. Um, Main instrument. So what grade did you get to on the recorder, Georgia? I
2: got to... um it sounds like i'm boasting but it's not it's just that i can't believe i got to diploma level i passed with the bare minimum needed to pass on my diploma so it was very nearly a fail Um, but i did pass it um i had intent that you know for a, a long time that's what i thought i was gonna do so if you'd have asked me when i was about 17 you know how's your life gonna go I would probably have said oh in a dream world i'm gonna move to berlin or scandinavia or one of these countries where you know you can still get away with playing recorder music and people think you're quite cool um (laughs) move there and i'm just gonna study it and i'm gonna you know play Bach music for the rest of my life And, and and that really was kind of how i saw things going and then it just all changed really, when I started writing my own music, I kind of, yeah, diverged a bit from the path. Um, mm.
1: And the harp came into play uh, during your student life, I, I remember seeing yeah. you in a ta- taxi in London and uh, the taxi driver wasn't too happy about helping you no. bring out a harp from the boot. I don't down blame to the really. social in London and carrying <laughs> yeah. it downstairs with you and getting I, it back in the, in the taxi later. I was quite
2: unpopular with <laughs> many taxi drivers around that time in my life. I think. Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, I can even just picture you in the halls of residence, like with you, you know turning up with your harp, and everyone's like, "Who's this?" Um, yeah. And the recorder. That must have <laughs> yes. been really popular on the As corridor. I said,
2: I was deeply cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's when I first heard your music. I think was when uh, you were studying, and uh, we were talking about your back catalogue. We won't go into that yet. We'll talk about um, a bit more about my. So my the title feels quite iconic as well. What did you want to capture with the album title?
2: Yeah. So everything that you mentioned um, before, really, that kind of that warmth, that turn of the season. I wrote. A Good majority of the record in the weeks and months after having my little boy who was my first child um, Is my only child at the moment um, Although I am expecting another one so life about to change again, but yeah, back then It was its own kind of lockdown its own kind of bubble um, As you well know Beth, there's a kind of abnormality isn't there to that sort of early time and I really found myself kind of focusing a lot on the change of the season I was really desperate for a bit of sunlight I wanted to see flowers you know I just kind of it it felt like this long long winter and I just really focused on that idea of you know light coming back in Sun coming back in so all the songs were written Um, Yeah, mostly in the winter months and then it was kind of about hope I guess, about that idea of, you know, regeneration and regrowth and really kind of getting back out into my own life. Um, And so, my just seemed like a really simple, nice sounding word um, that kind of evoked all of that. Also in Welsh, my is, is, isn't it? So there's like a certainty to it. Um, And I wanted, you know, I wanted it to be a bit of a therapy for me, really, making this album. I didn't truly know after the last record whether I would make another one. And obviously after having a child, that was a bit more (laughs) uncertain again. So it was kind of an act of healing and an act of of getting myself back into um, the world of music as well.
1: I think self-identity is a Mm. huge question for women after having children, when your whole being is taken over by another being and you never quite get your time back. And just that questioning of who you were and who you are now is um, transformative as well. So my feels like this kind of, yeah, this strength or, rebirth happening in terms of identity um, mm. the, the the date itself was quite uh, important to you because you did a streaming gig on May the first which is my in Welsh and I remember you saying at the time that there was um, a particular reason for that date yeah the resonance of May the first
2: yeah so for me I was you know, this fixation on the seasons and the distinct differences between the seasons, things I'd not really focused that much on, believe it or not, until um, having my little boy. It kind of caused me to, like, look at things differently. And I became really interested in, like, all the festivals that we have, um, you know, traditionally here in Wales and across Europe, I guess, really, these special times of year, you know, when these these changings of the seasons would have been celebrated, would have been really potent, would have had all these rituals um, associated with them. And May Day particularly for me was really powerful. I read loads about it here in Wales and all the customs and the kind of things that people would have done, but mainly this idea of like kind of triumph over darkness. And there's sort of, again, like a lot of stuff about light. And so, yeah, I kind of, it felt nice to kind of um, have my own little ceremony, for want of a better word, Realised that we don't really do much of that stuff, do we, Um, in the world anymore. Um, But I've quite enjoyed sort of learning about it.
1: In the art world and the literature world, there's a topsy-turvy world to May the 1st. And there were traditions, weren't there, about... Um, the fool, and people would dress as the fool, or the king would be the fool, and the fool would be the king and um i I just think even that theme there's a lot going on, and it's actually an explosion of life, isn't it? It's just yeah. the society coming together, the may Day dances and um the pagan rituals, like you said, and so you did a stream it was really intimate, <laughs> wonderful gig. And it's been the only stream this year, has it?
2: Yeah, did one. Did I do another one? Oh, we recorded another little gig um, for Pedrec from the house, but that was sort of pre recorded as live, you know. But yeah, we only did one. I enjoyed it so much. And there was that part of me who doesn't like to spoil things. I just, I was scared that if I did more, that it would. Um, it would get less special each time, if that makes sense, because I could see that lockdown was going to be for the long term. But I do know a lot of musicians really loved um, doing live streams. I guess I just, yeah.
1: I think what the experience was so different for the musician and people watching and the Mm. intimacy of being there. I mean, you know, the conversations between you and Yuan and keeping your voices down because the baby was in bed and (laughs) just absolutely insane as a concert, isn't it? You know, just like... (laughs) And our experiences of music were refreshed, I think. Yeah. However difficult the whole year's been, I feel like there's been a creative outpouring in a different way or or questioning or exploring and they've been positive.
2: Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also think that people have been listening differently to music. Um, what I noticed in the kind of first weeks after the album came out, again, not how i expected it to come out straight into lockdown. But because people were at home, they couldn't go out, literally a captive audience. And I found that people were noticing things on like this macro level um, in some of the songs. And, you know, it was really interesting to me to to find that people had just been listening in that depth and giving it their time and their, sort of, it was, it meant a lot to me, um, because yeah, it was a very deeply personal album, but then sort of seeing other people read their own meanings into it and sharing them back with me and, and, and really applying it to that strange start of lockdown. Um, I was just so glad that it, the timing had kind of worked
1: in, in a weird way. Although I, obviously, would never have planned it that way. Deeply personal, um, I'm going to ask you to give us a little talk through some of the songs. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Which songs feel like you can explain them easiest?
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a real, I think there are two sides to this album. So There are the songs that are kind of like the joyful, outpouring songs and then there are the songs that are the kind of inward uh, (laughs) I would say into the shadows songs the one that I'm probably the most proud of is Seven Rooms it is probably the song I'm most proud of ever because I didn't expect to be able to put the story um, and the feelings that are in that song to music, I didn't expect to be able to get them. And to the point that I find it quite hard to listen back to that song, although I'm so proud of it. And also so proud of the band for kind of interpreting exactly what was needed. And just the way that they're playing on that is just, you know, it's, um again, I was very touched, bit of an emotional wreck. Um, I, yeah, I'm really proud of that one. But on the other hand, I find it quite hard to listen to. Whereas songs like Cosmos, for example, I can really connect to the joyful, slightly kind of unhinged celebratory sort of energy on that song that, that you know, that for me, the the, the outro of Cosmos was kind of like what I was trying to do on the whole album, which was just to like, You know let it all out and kind of be a bit wild so yeah I don't know if I've answered your question or just rambled Um, no that's
1: (laughs) fine I'm gonna um, ask you just a little bit about each one if that's okay yeah yeah so let's I mean I'm looking at the track listing in front of me and just wanted a little even if it's one word a little perspective on where you were at when you were Uh, writing the album. So Gareth. So
2: Gareth was an improvised, it began as an improvised sort of recording between me um, and Hannah Davis on violin and Elsa um, on um, viola de gamba which is like the best instrument ever so we were all just in the room in Abba and we all just played and I had a kind of theme for the album there's the da, 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 da. so I knew I wanted that to like set the tone and we were just going to play around on that Um, to kind of establish the world of of where everything was going to happen. And that all came together just very naturally. Those two were amazing. And then Rodri Brooks brought his pedal steel um, later to the whole thing, which I think has just given it, you know, that kind of country um, feel. So it makes me happy to listen to that intro. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah
1: as you've collaborated with a number of musicians, but did do you feel like if it's your album, you need people that understand you and know you, or on a musical level, is it an intellectual connection that you know someone, you can trust someone to kind of take something and do something with it? I mean, do you, do you have to make it personal or is it more like, no, I'm just trusting this person?
2: Yeah, there's a huge element of that, I think, because I'm, I'm not someone who's got very fixed ideas um, when I go into a recording session and I'm almost always really inspired by whatever the musicians who are with me are doing, so things tend to evolve quite organically. And that's definitely what happened on this album. you know it we didn't really make we didn't have that much time to make kind of fixed decisions, so we just had to sort of go with what everyone as a group felt good with, and it was a very democratic way of um doing it efficiently <laughs> in the time that we had as well. so yet yeah, no, I don't like to limit options, and I think other people always bring something new that you yourself can't foresee um yeah,
1: some musicians in a classical training will only be able to perform in a classical way. But do you think it's that folk tradition that allows people to um, to be more free with the music and collaborating?
2: Possibly. I also think it comes down to the individual themselves. You know, um, I think some people just have got a very free and open way of approaching how they play music and how, especially how they play music with other people. And I find that I'm just always really drawn to very open, um, yeah, like open-minded musicians who just kind of are going to go and have a try at lots of different things, and and that always to me seems to be where the kind of um, more magical stuff happens, when people just kind of go, oh god, okay, let's just see what happens, and they bring something then
1: yeah I just imagine it being quite terrifying actually to <laughs> kind of put yourself out there in front of everybody um, let's keep the run just quickly running through madrin
2: yeah so this was a song for my son um, and it, his middle name is madrin um named after garden vadrin which is um yeah a really lovely beautiful sort of hill in Pentlin. And so I kind of wanted to write a song for him about something that was permanent, like that hill. And in the end, it became sort of a song about a hill. <laughs> um, the good thing is is that he likes it, or he says he does. Um, I think he mainly likes the video, the amazing video that Eva made for it. And he's quite—he's—he's he's like, oh yeah, it's this is the song that's my song, isn't it? And so that's really nice. Um, it was nice to kind of give him a song. Um, also, again, it's one of the uplifting ones, so I like listening to that. And I like listening to Steve's harmonies at the end, too. Um, Steve Black, who's just got the best voice for harmonies. So he kind of did these Beach Boys-type ooze all over the end, and every time I hear them, I just yeah, it just makes me really happy.
1: Seven Rooms is the next track on the album, and you've already mentioned that one. Is mm. there anything else you wanted to say about it before take you to the next track just
2: that I yeah it's I the first song I heard when I came back into the normal world after having my son was a Towns Van Zandt song um you are not needed now and there was something about that song that was just you know when you really need to hear something and you hear a certain song and it just gives you exactly what you needed but you didn't know until you heard it it you needed it i kind of wanted to make that kind of song for myself so it was like it was that song was definitely therapy yeah that's what i would say about that
1: terracotta
2: terracotta was about moving back to aberystwyth from cardiff um obviously i grew up here and i left when i was 18 um And I hadn't ever really intended to move back. Um, And then when we did, it was just really um, beautiful, but also quite difficult. There's something quite weird about moving back to the place that you grew up, I think, because suddenly you're flooded with all these memories that you kind of had forgotten about, people's faces that you'd forgotten about. And you kind of regressed. I found that I regressed to being about 17, which had its plus points, but also definitely like, (laughs) <laughs> had quite a lot of, oh my God, I'm 17 again, in Abba. Um, but the song was basically about, you know, that idea of, yeah, trying to, like, move towards the light a little bit and finding, again, like, trying to find some kind of ritual. So it says, defective order. There's, like, a lack of ritual in my life, and I kind of wanted to, like, get back to... <laughs> sounds really hippie-ish something a bit more mystical i think
1: yeah what was the 17 year old georgia nabristwith like where would you hang out (laughs) she liked local spa pretty
2: much strange mix of like quite you know like dutiful and you know good at revising for exams and then on the other hand loved going out to yoko's and peer pressure um which obviously are our premier night spots here in Abba. Um, so I had a really nice upbringing. It was a very relaxed, you know, seaside towns. It was it was a very safe, relaxed place to be a teenager um, and kind of <laughs> make all those teenage mistakes and feel quite safe while you were doing it. So I am grateful to Abba um, for, for my adolescence because it was okay, it could have been worse.
1: Do you, do you feel that it's in your music as well? I always feel like um, Welsh landscapes are so powerful in different ways, like especially Aberystwyth. Whenever I've been there, you can either have a gorgeous day on the beach in the summer where there's, you know, flooded with tourists, or you can have the storms of the winter that are so dramatic and incredible. I almost think I prefer that side of Aber when it's mm. dangerous and dark and the clouds are, oh, it's, it's incredible. But our whole Welsh landscape is so different, isn't it? That yeah. how do we, is it in the music? For me, definitely for a long
2: time, I don't think I recognised that it was, but growing up by the sea, I think it's very difficult then, you know, I went to Cambridge, which is essentially, you know, it's, it's a big flat, big sky terrain. You've got the fens, you can't see mountains. I mean, it's just so different and the sea is a long way, away, really. So, and then I moved to London and I always missed the certainty of knowing that you could just be on a beach by the sea and okay, right. There's something quite grounding about that. And I've noticed since coming back to Arpa that I'm, I gravitate towards the the beach a lot and there's definitely something in it there's a fascination there and it's I think it's always been in my music I just didn't know that I was sort of craving it but yeah something in the rhythm or the words it's very powerful I
1: think and it's very healing as well I think um, when you need to forget stresses and you need to kind of They they say it's blowing away the cobwebs, but I've got into a pattern over lockdown of just going for a walk every morning by the sea, and I just find I can't can't wake up properly without it anymore. Like, mentally, I can't kind of be alert. The Mm -hmm. fogginess this year, the kind of lack of direction, the lack of leadership, and in my life, you know, you, you kind of groundhog day and I kind of need just that <laughs> massive wind to kind of slap me in the face almost, you know
2: Yeah, I've we've done exactly the same thing, there's almost a kind of, you, you find your feet taking you down towards the sea especially like you say on those stormy days where the sea's like massive and churning and quite kind of primal and it does, it does definitely put you back into some kind of place doesn't it, when you've been feeling so listless and like just being in the house, I you know, I've done a lot of working from home as a musician, so I thought I was better trained for this, but it's it's definitely like it's it's so intense, isn't it? And i I think we're lucky that we've got um these places of escape nearby us. definitely. I felt lucky over the last year, certainly.
1: It's hard to put your finger on it, and I think everybody's still digesting the year that we've had, Mm. but people have found pathways or ways of coping with uh, the feeling, you know, the word lockdown. The fact that we're, the the lack of freedom to do something, the lack of traveling, or the lack of visiting other friends and family, and the isolation. There's been so much to digest this year, I do look forward to the creative albums that come from <laughs> mm-hmm. uh from the experience, but yeah, it's certainly uh something interesting here in with nature that we can that's been the rescue for me has been immersing ourselves in woodland and the kids enjoying climbing trees mm-hmm. and that I'd just never done that before, and I know it sounds so obvious, but the paths kind of um and, and uh, you mentioned the seasons and, like, really embracing seasons. For me, this year, that's the only thing that's changed. Yes. has been the temperature and the colours. And I just feel more aware of it than I ever have. I think
2: it's, yeah, it's exactly, you know, weirdly, it is exactly what the album is about. When your will become smaller for whatever reason, you know, lockdown, baby... I think the way that you see things is so different because you kind of, yeah you're noticing much smaller changes aren't you because they have more of an impact on you so like the sun coming out, sound like Kate Bush now, which is fine actually, it's a huge thing isn't it, it's like oh my god and it becomes really symbolic and it becomes more than just the sun coming out, It's, it's like you coming out, it's you know it, it's it's quite profound, um so i I can yeah, I wonder how we're all gonna like go back into let's say normal life i'm I'm sure like ways of seeing things have changed, and you're right, it'll be really interesting to see creatively like what comes out of this, I think, how people um express it
1: it's um so the next track on the album is my um yeah as an album title, what's significant to you when you think of that track?
2: The words of that song, um, I say song, it is a poem that I have uh, appropriated, I've set it to music, however you want to say it, but the words of that song. I'd heard um, of Avion Wynne, but he wasn't a Welsh poet that I knew much about, um, and I read those words and again it was that same thing of needing to read them when I did and you know basically what he says is that I know it's coming gun the vodvi visamil and visa meal it's almost like month of honey, so there's like this sweetness, this like almost sensual um, quality to spring, you know, and he says, I know it's coming. And there's this wonderful like image of him out walking and he's, you know, it's all a bit romantic. He's like out in the fields, the forests. he's seeing the flowers, but there's something in him that connects to it. And it gives him a certainty. And when I'd not had much certainty, again, you know, I just really fixated on, it was, it it kind of sounded like an affirmation or a mantra um, to me. And so I wanted to put that right in the middle of the album as a kind of, yeah, like a centerpiece, I guess.
1: And then there's um, a natural split with the vinyl anyway, where suddenly we're in the second half and it starts with Close for Comfort. And this was, was it the first track you put out to kind of introduce the album? It was, yeah. So obviously a track that felt confident and it sounds like a confident calling card.
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed doing this song. We just had a lot of fun with it. And yeah, it just came together really quickly. Frodtree put his pedal steel um, guitar down later and when he did that, it just all came together. So that was really magical getting that mix back. Um, with Rodri's um, sort of, yeah, extra bits was brilliant. It kind of um, made the whole song make sense to me. Um, yeah, it's a funny song. I, I don't truly know what it's about, um, but there's, yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> I
1: and also, it you know, for me, when you think of motherhood and, a newborn and that bubble you mentioned, close for comfort, That, that's everything, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and also it was, I think, if I'm trying to remember what I wrote it about, I think it was sort of about, you know, trying not to lose sight of the other person. I think, you know, when you're a couple and you've got a new baby, you just become parents, don't you? And you become part of this sort of uh, working unit of trying to like oh my god yeah shift i've got to like what time is it it's bath time it's nap time and you become like military almost well we did in our approach um in the early days and i just you know it's that important thing i guess of it sounds cliche but of seeing each other and not just taking each other for granted as parts of the the baby unit so it was kind of about trying to yeah, reconnect, I guess, for want of a better word, with the person that you live with. Um, and, and that felt like quite a weird thing to write a, a sort of country, upbeat song about, but also, like, yeah, I, I I felt like quite an important song to write as well.
1: And when you think about it, country music always has those domestic themes as well. <laughs> totally. And that feels perfect now you've explained yes. it like that. Yeah. Um, it's your turn to do the dirty nappy. That should have been a line in this song. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, In Bloom.
2: Yep, In Bloom. Babies and flowers, gardens. There's a lot of stuff about gardens on the album. When the house that I was living in in Cardiff. Um, had a very wild garden that both impressed and completely scared me because I knew that I wasn't up to the task of um, controlling it. So it, kind of existential dread. Every time I looked out the door, I'd be like, oh, someone's got to sort out the garden and it's me, but I i can't, I'm, I'm a crap gardener, oh my God. And then they like, shut the door. And then what would happen was that the garden would literally grow under our kitchen door at night as if to like mock me. So I'd come down in the morning and there'd be tendrils like under the back door. There'd be bugs that had kind of come in in the night. Snails had left trails across our kitchen and I'd be like, the garden is mocking me. I don't, oh my God, it's so powerful. And, but also I felt that I quite liked that we had this weird midnight garden that was coming in and would it eventually like grow into the house and we'd all have to live in this weird garden forest so that's that's I think what that song is about
1: I'm now quite terrified of that song yeah, it's quite <laughs> that's, dark really see, sounds quite whole, nice doesn't it <laughs> that's a whole new image Yeah, of the tendrils coming under the door yeah. I feel like there's a horror movie in this album now cosmos <laughs> cosmos
2: gardens again I was very preoccupied about my crap gardening qualifications probably because one of my best friends had recently become um, a freelance gardener and she's someone that I admire so much Um, she's just wonderful and beautiful and very you know of the earth and so she'd tell me about oh my god and I've just been gardening and like getting down in the soil and I'd be like yeah that sounds great I can't relate to that and sort of really overthinking what it meant that I wasn't a good gardener. Um, And so (laughs) I suppose the song was about trying to, yeah, trying to just let go a bit. I've always been quite an uptight person, quite neurotic, I would say, probably increasingly so. And so it was kind of like an attempt to um, just like chill the hell out and connect with something a bit wilder um so yeah that's what that is
1: it's a bit witchy i feel your stress on this subject <laughs> because during <laughs> lockdown the whole thing about uh cuttings in communities exploded didn't it people leaving plants at the front gardens for anyone to take and friends uh, would call around our house with pots of cuttings for me to look after And I was planting things, not knowing what they were, for starters. I thought I had had a whole load of vegetables off somebody that turned into beautiful flowers. And when it turned from a chive to a purple flower, it shocked me so much that I'd grown a flower. Um, I was quite... um, it was like what what on earth have i planted it was it was this exp- exploration of the unknown every day of what things were turning into and i suppose it's because i hadn't bought them specifically it was just um it was amazing and terrifying and i feel your stress because i've been told off on numerous occasions for um pulling weeds that weren't weeds and um doing all sorts to the garden that wasn't my territory so um, and, you know, it, it's just been, it's just been an odd year for that that kind of sharing and amazing the people who did throw themselves into gardening and collecting plants and developing plants. And it's, it's supposed to be really good for your mental health as well. Um, that you thing. nurture life and that you look after, even if it's one pot plant and you look after that one pot plant it's supposed to be so good for you. And uh, and yeah, I was finding it ultimately very stressful, (laughs) taking pictures of things like, "Does anybody know what this is?" (laughs) Or when, Um, or
2: when the plants die, and then you think, "Oh my god, I've been entrusted with this one plant, and it's dead now. What does that mean? Oh my god, I'm a bad person." Yeah, I think the the pressures of gardening can't be understated, really. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so we've reached um, Cosmos, we've had In Bloom, Cosmos, uh, three tracks left, Bruchni. I don't even know what Brychni means. Is it um, uh, Freckles?
2: Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, so it's Is Freckles. It? Yeah, and um, specifically, I. so I demoed a lot of this album um, in Liverpool um, the year before we recorded it um, with Ewan Morgan who's just been wonderful i have to say he's just the best so just brilliant brilliant person brilliant musician brilliant producer and engineer but very kindly allowed me to come over to liverpool and we we sort of started tracking out some ideas for the songs just because of time but this song is the only one recorded in those sessions that actually made it to the final album and it was totally improvised on the piano that he's got there um so it's all just made up on the spot really um and brachni because as i was recording i got a text saying oh my god the baby's got um, measles or the baby's got chicken pox or he's got like horrible spots all over him so i was like miles away in liverpool feeling <laughs> you know m- mum guilt ramped up to the max like oh god here i am doing a piano thing so i thought the the least i can do is to name it freckles after his little spots he was fine in the end absolutely fine but uh, yeah,
1: mum guilt is Man. it's pretty deep isn't it and there's no shaking it and you feel like i know i've got to do this this is me this is yeah. what i do and this is my um work but at the same time there's Even now, and my youngest is nearly four, I feel like there's a a tear every day that you kind of drop them off to do something else. And they need that. They need the stimulus. They have fun. But you just can't get over it.
2: No. And there's this weird feeling. I don't know if you've found this as well, but I always found that every time I was away from him, I had to make it count, or it had to be valid time away, you know, so I'd be like, oh, right, the song that I write on the day that he's not with me has to be the the best song. Otherwise, I've abandoned my child, and I know that this is an irrational thought, I know it doesn't matter, but there's this strange voice, isn't there? You're sort of trying to make everything very worthwhile, very valid, and... Ultimately, I think it's probably a really bad energy because you just you just torment yourself. And it's definitely been a learning curve for me trying to navigate those feelings.
1: And and we talked about this just before we started the interview cramming things into a time that yeah. you've got. So not just worthwhile but like intense. It's gonna super be super intense
2: so that you're like weak at the end of any activity. <laughs> Strung out on the floor, but I did it. I'm I've done everything mom. in two hours.
1: It's amazing. Yes. Cleaned the house, yes. done the shopping, done my work. Um it's intense and and of course oh and and exhausting this I I wake up every morning exhausted and I feel like that isn't good and I how do I ever get past that but I think it's just the young child stage and I don't think I'll ever ever kind of shake it it's this sense of
2: (laughs) yeah and then the
1: weirdness
2: of when it's not like that or if you do go away the silence becoming almost oppressive and you're like but this is what i i dreamed about this silence this kind of this unadulterated free time and now i've got it it feels really weird and i don't really know what to do with it oh yeah it's it you know making the album was like that because i was so glad to have everyone around me had it just been me it, things could have got very intense very quickly, but because I had um, the other musicians in Awan, it, it sort of distracted me from those kind of emotions, you know. So, again, like eternally grateful to them
1: for that. Did you record in a short space of time, or was it like protracted, or it was just like how many, how many weeks?
2: So, the body of it, the, the, the body of each song pretty much was recorded in that week in ABBA. One And then, yeah, so that's when we knew that we had to, everything that we got down in that week would be the crux of the album. So arrangements were really put together very quickly. And as I said before, it was kind of a case of, is this working? Everyone happy? Anyone unhappy? Okay, Steve, what are you thinking? Okay, you're not happy with that. Okay, let's fix that. Right, okay, and now let's go. So it was really um, instinctive and quick. And then once I had those, and I was happy with those. I went back to Liverpool, I think twice in the months that followed just to like sit with Iwan Morgan and we just, you know, we'd add the odd thing that we felt the songs needed. Not much really, but kind of just taking that time to see, okay, maybe, you know, and some of the vocals that I'd not managed to get done in ABBA, I did them later in Liverpool. So it was kind of a tale of two halves, really, getting everything done pretty much, and then the little extra bits. Um,
1: what later. I I am I'm, I'm still so really shocked by the fact that it was one week and it must have felt like this energy of like yeah. noise and wow, the energy of like we have to get this done and the timetable that's intense for how many is it? 10 track albums. 11 yeah. tracks on this album right but two tracks left for the break yeah. sorry Georgia go on. no go
2: on no just to say that it, it looking back yeah it does sound intense doesn't it but at the time honestly it was so relaxed and so happy and I think that's how we managed to get it done you know we didn't freak out too much um yeah
1: oh how beautiful that would have been <laughs> to be a flying on the wall in the room um two tracks left We've got Caness and Heil. What can you tell me about these closing tracks?
2: Yeah, Caness is the proper closing track, really. Heil is sort of the after light. It's kind of little instrumental finish to the record. Um, is it Coda, is that the right word? If Gareth was the opening, then Heil is the end. And again, Sun, you know, I wanted it to feel warm. Caness means warm. Um, I really like that song. It's the song that's probably the most political on the album in in the sense that it deals with climate change quite um, directly. I woke up in ABBA one morning and it felt too hot and it was just really odd. It was, I think it was November and it was boiling and I went for a walk and it just felt wrong and you know because i've been talking so much about seasons and their turn and 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 things happening as it's meant to in nature that kind of reliability it was really disarming then to go out and be like this this doesn't feel right all the birds were quiet it's like they knew it wasn't right and there'd been a lot of stuff in in the press you know with greta and the, her whole campaign and a lot of a lot of focus on on climate disaster and so I guess it was at the forefront of my mind and I wanted to try and work out well okay if I've been talking about finding certainty and comfort in nature what the hell happens when that natural balance is being destroyed you know there's something quite terrifying about that we're we're meant to find therapy and comfort in the natural world but we're also obviously ruining it and pulling it apart and we don't even know we're doing it and then we'll be the ones who lose out, you know. So <laughs> it's quite, quite a heavy song, really. Um, but again, towards the end, I wanted to like break out of that neurosis and just go to somewhere a bit more um, joyful with it. And Steve just did the most amazing job. Um, got the saxophone out and, <laughs> and <it laughs> broke through all that dark thinking, you know. So it. Despite the subject matter, it is quite a celebratory song I think it's hopeful it's meant to be hopeful anyway I wanted the album to finish in a hopeful place um, so yeah, dark but then becoming lighter
1: but isn't that all the colors of human nature and mm. you know all our daily questioning and soul searching and yeah, I think you've encompassed it all in in this album and it really does feel like human nature in a picture, or, you know, on a disc. Um, something I wanted to ask you about, has, has the year that, I mean, you created this album in lockdown, and I know that even though it's challenging, has, it also, has there also been a sense of peace for you with the year that we've had, the taken away the pressure of performing, of the live, of the touring?
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I obviously, um, I lost all my tour dates um, because we were meant to go on tour um, the week I think we went into lockdown on the Friday I was meant to be doing I think my launch gig. So it was very weird because for a long time I would built myself up to do this tour. Um, and you know I'm, I've been quite open I think over the last year I've struggled quite a bit with um, anxiety surrounding um, live performances I didn't used to suffer with it but it definitely was something that kind of gradually came into my life a bit more over the last couple of years so there was something quite weird I felt like I'd got to quite a good place in my mind about doing these gigs really looking forward to it really kind of pumped actually um, sort of to get back out there, and then obviously, ah, okay, right, rain all that, rain all of that in because you're going into lockdown. So it was kind of like someone pouring cold water over all of my um, optimism and uh, hard work, which hurt a lot to begin with. And then gradually, as we got further into lockdown, I thought, well, do you know what? There's nothing I can do to change it, and you know, just feeling fortunate um, to be healthy. Um, and yeah, it, it's certainly kind of, it's it, it's been one of those years where you think a lot um, about what it is that you do, why it is that you make music. Um, it's definitely left me prouder to be a musician. I used to kind of, wonder if I was allowed to call myself a musician. You know, when I had my little boy, I was like, oh, but I don't play anymore. So I'm not really a musician anymore. And then this lockdown has kind of, I've seen the kind of pride in the community, in the creative industry, people really kind of, you know, a really strong collective voice. And it's made me think I'm so proud to be part of this community of people. Um and so it's yeah it's, it's there's, there's been a lot of emotions i would say um but it's left me feeling very hopeful and again wanting to get back out there and perform because i see now that music isn't just for you it is for you but it does so much more as well it, it 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 gives something to other people and if that's something that i can do then I would like to be able to do that. So it's it's certainly motivated me and taken away the preciousness of that, you know, oh, I don't want to go on stage. Um, So I, in a way I'm quite grateful um, to this year for that realization.
1: Mm. I think for me, I was on a treadmill of activities that weren't um selective it was just that's on that's on and i mm. think there will be an appreciation of things that um either connect us or that it's not necessarily the concert that it's the people that you're with as well mm. you know i think we're such a long way off still getting back to that place um that uh, yeah an appreciation of connecting with music and i've i've appreciated just listening so taking away all the trappings of festivals and all the work that I was doing with showcases and things mm-hmm. and just listening. I think that was the first thing. And that's been healthy. It's, it's a, been a resetting of everything, hasn't it? And some of it's healthy, some of it's been hard. But um, I certainly feel like your album is of its time And isn't that amazing the things we've talked about and the themes that you'd written it before all of this and it feels like it's encompassed it all the celebration of nature the celebration of uh, identity and connection you know all those huge things that we've all looked at this year Um, so i feel like i've come to the end of the interview but i just wanted to ask you one last thing yeah how does this album sit with you in terms of your body of work, and do you feel like it'll be um, a completely different step as you move forward to record the next? Because it was obviously of, like we've said, of its time, of its place, the way you recorded, the things you were talking about. Um, how does it sit with within your life's work? I'm really, yeah, I'm
2: really happy with this one. I can't say that about them all. There's the musician's tendency to like, criticize everything that you've done before and go, oh, no, no, this one, this is the one that reflects me. Um, but this one, I, I kind of did it for myself. And that was the starting point. And I achieved that. And I satisfied some need in myself. And I had a really nice time making it, lovely people. And and it, I always knew it would be a quiet album, but I hoped that in the quietness there'd be something quite powerful that would speak to me and I could get something out of it. So it was always meant to be, yeah, quite a healing thing. And I'm very grateful that I managed to do it. So if I hadn't have made this album, I don't know if there would have been another record, if that makes any kind of sense. But now I know well, I'm definitely gonna make another record because I've made this one. So it was kind of a do or die one, really. Um, And in that sense, totally important to me. Um, Just the most important. So I'm so grateful to everyone who was involved with it. They might not have realized it at the time, but they played a part in, you know, um, something like massive for me. And hopefully with the next one, there'll be a different energy and the songs will sound different. I'm always trying to do something a bit different each time. So it won't sound like this next time. I know that. But I'm so glad that this one does. That makes
1: sense. A solo recorder album, maybe. Well, there you go.
2: Exactly. (laughs) So, (laughs)
1: Um, Thank you so much for your time. I'm really looking forward to listening again through the tracks to hear... All those things you've highlighted about those songs um, and and also look forward to hearing uh, future projects and the the self-discovery you're going through with each project sounds amazing as well so thank you for exploring the album with us. dear
2: it's been so
0: nice, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Welsh Music Prize Conversations with the 2020 shortlisted bands and artists. You can stream all 15 conversations through AM, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it or let us know through our social media channels at Welsh Music Prize. Diolch am, am Gymraeg bands ac o'r Hesterfer 2020. Mae'n modd gwrando i bob trwy AM, Spotify neu Apple Podcasts. Os ydych chi wedi mwynhau'r podcast yma, gnewch yn siŵr ei rannu neu i adlni o bod tre'n cymdeithasol at Welsh Music Prize.